Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter. And we're looking here at Isaiah chapter 41. This is much less well known than the one we just read. Chapter 40, of course, had all those familiar phrases like the uh the voice calling in the wilderness right and we saw those verses that are quoted in the new testament that when the breath of the lord blows the grass withers the flower fades you know all these sorts of things you know being born up on wings like eagles and then we get to chapter 41 and it's much less familiar listen to me in silence o coastlands let the people renew the peoples renew their strength what are we talking about here it seems like we were talking about Cyrus of Persia. We're actually kind of talking a little bit about a different historical situation here. So, you know, how is this going to work out? How is God's chosen instrument a foreign emperor? Um, and, and how does that then make sense when we try to apply this chapter here to our own lives, um, seeing God's intervention in history in these unexpected ways? Today, our guest is Pastor Darren Sheik. He's pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Anaheim, California. Uh, brother, you know, you're not far away from where I'm at here in Irvine. I should have should have had you over to Irvine this morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Would, wouldn't that be wonderful for us just to sit together and, and, and go over this passage, this wonderful chapter together? I'm doing great. Beautiful day in Southern California, and my day off from uh, work, so it's good. Very good. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we should do that next time. Then you know, I mean, the the only thing is you have to contend with you know the the morning traffic <laughs> between here and Anaheim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that, AJ. Well, hey, Darren, I appreciate that. That would that would that would be fun. I can get you a cup of coffee and we can do the next one in person. But uh very good looking at Isaiah chapter forty one here. It's um yeah. the the tone the tone changes and the imagery shifts, right? Like the yeah. chapter forty was was kinda all about this like your your enemies are dead. Kind mm. of like you know, mm-hmm. like I, I've blown them away. I've blown them down, they have withered and faded, talking about the situation of exiles. Um but here in 41, it's a, it's a little bit of a different thrust now, isn't it? Yes. It, it is a marvelous chapter. I, I'm with you. When I, when I was first studying this, you know, this is one of the, the lesser familiar chapters. But, boy, what a significant one it is, especially the, the link between 40 and then 42, which you'll get into next time. A very right. important chapter that's setting up. Uh, very important uh, uh, events and promises that are to come. Right, well, that, that's a good point, too, that, you know, it's the language of the servant of God, right, that is really important mm-hmm. here. And that's something that, you know, um, of course, later on in the church year, when we get closer to, you know, Good Friday and Easter, uh, all that language of is of uh, the servant of God and, you know, behold, um, you know, God's servant and all the things mm-hmm. about him, how God's servant, you know, suffers and all the rest. Right. right. You know, we're yeah. we're going <clears> to <throat> we're going to see all of that later in the church year. But here it is already getting set up here um, in these chapters in yes, Isaiah. Exactly. And interestingly here, it's 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 pretty clear that the the servant is is Israel. Yes. 
Right here in this chapter, absolutely. Um, this this chapter is wonderful because there's a there's a there's a, a movement from uh, from chapter from chapter forty verse thirty one about those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and then in forty one now we have this this call to the nations uh, to have their strength renewed as right. well as God's people, right? And uh, then you have this courtroom setting at the beginning of the chapter. God is calling uh, uh, to court, to judgment, inviting uh, the peoples from the ends of the earth to come and present their case and to hear. And then, uh, and then God uh, presents his case, uh, and the verdict is given. And then after that, we see the response of the nations to this in verses 5 through 7, and then God turns to his people in verses 8 through 20, and does this wonderful trifold kind of uh, comfort uh, of, of, of the different afflictions they find themselves into. And then at the end of the chapter, we find this God calling to court again and inviting the, uh, the Gentiles to bring their idols to make their case. And at right. the end, uh, God makes his case and then we, and then he pronounces kind of final uh, uh, a judgment, a, a verdict on those who seek uh, other gods rather than the one true God, who is the God of history, the God of purpose, the God of redemption. And it leads us right in. It kind of leaves us hanging at the end of twenty nine, but then boy, forty two comes in, and it just fl- the floodgates of God's intention uh, for the nations uh, the, are completely open in the servant that is to come. Yeah, I think that's a very helpful overview that, yeah, this is um, this is a, this courtroom imagery. God is calling the nations and their gods to court and yes. they're going to settle <laughs> yes. things. They're going to settle things and, and God's uh, servant is there. But, you know, present your yeah. evidence, present your case. So very, very mm-hmm. d- different kind of uh, genre even here, even though it's poetry and it's uh, all, you know, seems very um, Isaiah-ish still, um, mm-hmm. different, different kind of different kind of setting, different kind of mode of, of thinking here. So that's what we have to look forward to today. Let's go ahead and get into it. And as we do, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening Absolutely. Today? Absolutely. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. What a, what a gift it is to rise up out of bed and to be faced with a new day where you are with us, you are caring for us, you are bringing us through, leading and guiding us. And we ask that, Father, this word would strengthen us to, to walk through this day as people of faith, trusting in your, uh, your faithful promises, your, your, your intent to do good and to be gracious to us. And for all this, we give you thanks and ask uh, for your blessing upon this time. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and look at the first four verses just to get us started here. I think we've already yeah. kind of considered uh, the connections <laughs> and the context and the overall um, structure of it. So here's the introduction to this, uh, this court case situation, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 41. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach and let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? 
He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. Yes. So, yeah, the challenge is issued here, right? You know, it's uh, assemble together. Let's uh, let's have this case. Let's have this judgment, right? And the challenge yeah. of God is that he is unique, and he is the only one who has stirred up this uh, victorious one from the east. So yeah. who is that? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it, it, Later in the chapter, he's going to come back to this, but, uh, you know, looking forward, it's, it's going to be, uh, Cyrus, uh, the one who's going to come and, and, uh, and, well, he's, he's using those, those, uh, conquerors that Israel's enemies have always come from the East. Um, and mm. so it, it can, it can, it can, uh, you know, um, be many uh, different nations, but specifically here we're thinking now of one who will come from the east, who will conquer uh, and, and, and intrude from the north, which he's going to mention a little bit later in 41. But I think the overall point here is that uh, any and every uh, conqueror, uh, that, that God is behind uh, the, the, the history and the, and the actions of history, and uh, when God is behind it, his purposes uh, are, you know, cannot be thwarted. Uh, uh-huh. And so this, this apt description in uh, chapter or verse two through four is, is just, you know, when God is purposed to do something, it unfolds without, without uh, you know, opposition. And especially yeah. this is going to happen in the future of their of this nation. Yeah. Yeah, well, and you make I mean, you make a really good point that there's just something about the ambiguity here, though, right? Like it doesn't actually come out and mm-hmm. say Persia yes. or or Babylon or Assyria, mm-hmm. um, but as you say, um, their enemies always seem to come from the east. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, exactly like if right. you didn't if you didn't know any better, you know, it could refer to any of those, and of course. It doesn't take a rocket science scientist to figure out why this is the case. It's because they're on the coast, mm-hmm. and so they're not coming from the west, yeah. generally yeah, speaking. Right. <laughs> There's water that way. So we might expect that this would this would be a common state of affairs, that the enemies would come from the east. And uh, it's it's mm-hmm. interesting the way that he, he talks about this. I mean, it does sound like a, a conqueror. The translation that we have in verse 2, whom victory meets at every step, yes, um, yeah. I want to talk about in this second that in a second because the word isn't exactly victory, but we'll get there. Um, but for now, let's just say it's victory. Um, you know, it says that you know he tramples kings underfoot. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it, it says, uh, and this is an interesting part too. Make, he makes them like dust with his sword. Isn't that the same mm-hmm. language we saw in chapter forty? Right, that in all of the the description of yes. the the nations of the world and their princes, right, he says that they're like they're like dust, they're like stubble, 
right? That's um, mm-hmm. where was it in verse twenty-four of the previous chapter? The tempest carries them off like stubble, right? Um, and then like the idea about dust, right? That they're like nothing. That we had it was earlier in verse fifteen. Behold, the nations right. are like a drop from a bucket and are counted accounted as the dust on the scales. So this is very exactly. interesting that this that this conqueror who, you know, in, in chapter 41, it says that, you know, he goes by paths his feet have not trod. It's a guy who's mm-hmm. who's who's conquering new territory, right? Mm-hmm. He's being described, right. though, in terms of, uh, the, the, well, the same terms that Isaiah used to describe God, that he is really executing mm-hmm. God's mm-hmm. own judgment. He is God's representative. Mm-hmm. And that's perhaps the craziest thing that, you know, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't you know, he could be talking about Babylon. He could be talking about Assyria. Maybe he's talking yeah. about Persia, but he's talking about mm-hmm. a Gentile nation who represents God. That's right. Who has performed and done this, you know, verse four. I mean, you know, is, is this, uh, is this by some will of a, of a conquering king or is God actually the one who is uh, performing it through uh, these nations to accomplish his purpose. And that's that's the beautiful uh, revelation here, right? Well, yeah, you, and you bring up, um, yeah, it's good to look at that verse, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, you know, that mm-hmm. that would recall to our hearers' minds the book of Genesis, right? You look at it like, exactly. from the beginning, and so what? It, what is, um, yes. you know, what's been going on from the beginning, right? Um, that's, um, I mean, I mean, like that word there is actually like the same word for, you know, beginning that you have like in, um, Genesis It's related anyway. And, and what you, what you see in Genesis is that you have like, for instance, the table of nations that it's God who is yes. the one who, who creates humanity yes. and he's the one who brings forth all the different nations of the earth. Um, they are his in that sense, but there's one other mm-hmm. thing. There's one other thing you get. In, in um, Genesis, and that's after that table of nations and that description of all that, who comes onto the scene but Abraham, and isn't it mm-hmm. interesting, Abraham mm-hmm. is called from the east, and Abraham goes forth from yeah. the east, going mm-hmm. places where his feet have not trod, and he seems to conquer. He defeats the kings of Sidon and Tyre, um, and right. he seems to go forth claiming land, it's very interesting because all this language, even though it sounds like it's referring to a pagan source, you could apply all mm-hmm. the same thing to God's servant, Abraham. That's true. And what's the common denominator there is that Abraham believed God, right? Left his land into an unknown land. And and really, this is what chapter 41 is calling uh, the nations and God's people too is is to faith uh, and to trust in how God is is with them and keeping His promises with them, uh, regardless of the circumstances. Okay, so that that is, I think, the point that we that we got to take a look now at verse two more closely, um, because because you're right. So that that's that's the common denominator. It's God's purposes. And whether humans will align themselves with God's purposes, mm-hmm. um, which is something yes. that we typically describe as, as faith, right? In, in verse mm-hmm. 2, it doesn't actually merely say, who stirred up one from the east, whom victory 
meets at every step. That's that's not the kind of standard word for for a victory or a win or something like that. The word in the mm-hmm. Hebrew is tzedek, which is commonly, most commonly, right, righteousness. So what, what do you make of that, that, I mean, there's this description of representing God, and then not only that, but but righteousness, I mean, this is a sort of moment where there's actually like a whole school of thought that says like, oh, this has to be referring to Abraham because there's no way that we would refer to, you know, uh, the Persian emperor as, you know, uh, acting in righteousness um, on behalf of mm-hmm. God. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I, I, I'm struck by the opening words, who stirred up one mm-hmm. from the east. So here you have God calling from slumber, uh, more accurately, someone to, to rise up and awake and act. So immediately it points to God's initiating work. Uh, and uh, rising this one up from the east, who will uh, who will follow uh, God's uh, prompting and leading, and will accomplish His righteous purpose? Right. So I, I think I think that's the thing to see that you know, uh, and, and we and we saw the same thing when we were looking at Daniel and when we were looking at Ezra. Just because these people don't necessarily, you know, offer, you know, sacrifices in the temple and, you know, like, you know, read the Moses and the prophets and and pray in Hebrew, Mm -hmm. right? Just because they aren't necessarily like the people of God, that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that God can't direct them towards his righteous purposes. And and I do think that actually a stronger translation than what the ESV would be would be merited here. That, you know, like literally it says, you know, who has, you know, roused up or woken up, as you said, like, you know, from slumber Mm -hmm. from the east. And then it says, you know, kind of more literally, you know, righteousness has summoned him to his feet. Like like the idea that righteousness has (laughs) called this guy into his service. And um, Mm -hmm. and and that is, is actually then like when we see later. Uh, very consistent with the description that we're going to have later, which uh, we, we're not here yet. I feel like this is like Isaiah working his way there. He starts off with language that is ambiguous. It could apply to Abraham, right? But maybe it applies mm-hmm. to something else. But we're going to see this later. Cyrus of Persia has actually been called to the righteous purpose of God. Doesn't necessarily make him a righteous person in himself. Doesn't necessarily mean that he has faith, but he's been called to God's righteous service. And in fact, mm-hmm. later on, God's going to call him his Messiah because he has mm-hmm. chosen him for this purpose. Yeah, beautiful. That's that's exactly right on. So we have this idea that God calls people who are not his people to serve his purposes. And that goes all the way back mm-hmm. to Abraham, in fact, right? Abraham didn't know God. Yes. Abraham didn't know who God was when he got that call, but he made him into the people of God. Um, and so similarly, God's going to do this even with a foreign king. And then we get in verse 5 the response to all of this. This, this yeah, is the God right. who, who calls anybody. Anyone can be called to this guy's purpose. No, no, no one can mm-hmm. stop his purpose, right? This is the kind of God mm-hmm. we're talking about. So how, how do the nations respond? This is verse 5. Well, it, it's it's uh, they, first of all they're 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 afraid. Right? Uh, the response is not one of joy. Uh, they seen and they are afraid. They tremble, 
And so what they do now is what people of, 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 of unbelieving uh, nature do is they start gripping and starting to figure how they're going to uh, survive and pull together to uh, counteract or confront this, this unwanted God. So what they do is they tremble and they go, well, hey, let's be strong, verse 6, right? And then they start building uh, idols and and crafting things with their own hands, saying, this is good, you know, and they strengthen it with nails so it cannot be moved. So so here we see this act of desperation uh, and fear, trying to pull themselves by their own bootstraps, right. uh, trying to save themselves with their own hands, uh, giving themselves their own approval, and trying to find stability uh, and strength in themselves. And yet the, the sad part is, is that uh, human gods are only as strong as their human creators, and they cannot rise uh, above their human weakness. And and uh, we're going to find more out, out about that in uh, verse 21 and following. That's so it's idol really, making. Yeah, that, no, that's it's a really it's a really good explanation. So that that's what we have. So I'm going to go ahead and read then verses five to ten, and just everybody, you know, keep in mind Pastor Sheik's description here about the different responses. You've got the responses of the nations. That's you know, let's 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 uh, come together and build our idols, and that's how we'll deal with this uh, scary thing that God's doing. And contrast that then what what we're going to read next, the response of Israel to this action yes. of God. So here's verses five through ten. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, It's good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off, fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God." I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Wonderful. So, I mean, it's it's so interesting to me just how uh, that, that the, the follow-up, the response, it just ties together so tightly with with what we've what we just read you know just even though the last thing that we read you know um being upheld with like my righteous right hand that's the same word that like that that cynic mm-hmm. that that righteous mm-hmm. word that you yeah. know the uh what, so I, I think anyway uh, we only have like a like 30 seconds here so i'll just have to i, I want you to chime in on this but we'll it'll have, it'll have to be mm-hmm. after the break but the mm-hmm. idea right is that hey look this guy I'm calling, he's calling to, he's coming to my righteous purpose. And that's the same righteous purpose that I'm going to use to bless you. So, you know, God's people mm-hmm. know that even though this looks scary and it's a foreign power, this is like what happened with Abraham, who is named here, right? Mm-hmm. The, the one mm-hmm. who was God's friend called from the ends of the earth. And this yeah. scary conqueror is going to be for the blessing and the strengthening and the help of his people. We got to go into our break now, but hold that thought, everybody. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 41 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. 
Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people and new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 41, and we're joined today by Pastor Darren Sheik, pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Anaheim, California. We just read verses 5 through 10, and so I, I was just commenting on how you know, th- this this part with the responses, it just ties in everything so tightly, especially the part about Israel's response, because even though there's this, you know, scary conqueror who's just, you know, going from victory to victory, who seems to be unstoppable, this force from the Mm -hmm. east, they're not afraid. They know that God is going to use this to strengthen them and to help them and to bless them. I mean, this seems to be really specifically talking about, hey, like, I'm going to use this guy to set you free from exile. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where all this is heading, absolutely. And um, I I really, uh, one of the ways that I've looked at uh, verses 8 through 20 is we have three different kind of descriptions of of the circumstances that Israel uh, might find themselves in, in light of this conquering, I mean, they're already... They're already conquered, right? Uh, right. They're already in exile. Right. And so now there's this other conqueror coming, which is usually bad news. If you're already a, a people that are conquered, another conqueror coming is usually not something you rejoice in. Mm-hmm. But this is, uh, this is how God is working his righteous purpose, right? And so in verse 8, we see Israel as a servant, right? A, a, a slave, um, maybe helpless uh, in these circumstances, and yet God says, but, you know, who is your master? I'm your master. Right. You are my servant. You are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not cast you off. So here is the promise in the midst of, of, of maybe a, a, a desperate situation, a hopeless situation. And he says, do not be dismayed, fear not. I am your God. I will strengthen you as, as you, uh, as you just, uh, you know, 
uh, laid out for us, you know, the promises that God is with them and he's going to uphold them with his righteous hand. Yeah, and that that language you were just mentioning, that language of relationship that, you know, that we are the servant of God, that's really interesting and it's juxtaposed, I think, with what you have in 5 to 7 because, you know, yes, earlier right. the terms of relationship in verse 6, everyone helps his neighbor, says to his mm -hmm. brother, Right. So the, the, the nations, they're, they're neighbors and they're brothers together who support each other mm -hmm. through, through like, well, I mean, they're, they're joint worship forms. They I mean, they're in the idolatry together. They make their alliances yes. together. They're neighbors and they're brothers mm -hmm. to each other. And as, as, yeah. uh, as strong, as intimidating as that might be, this, uh, you know, their, their, their brotherhood or their neighborhood, um, literally speaking, what do you have? In the case of God's people, you know, we, we are called, Israel is called the servant of God, and Abraham is called the friend of God, yeah. right? I Isn't mean, that I, wonderful? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I know. I mean, it's just, um, I mean, I think Abraham is, I mean, Abraham's got to be, I think, one of the few people in the Old Testament that, that's referred to as, as that. But I mean, like, what, what a high title, right? It's like, which would you rather have? Right. Would you rather have the nations as your, as your friends and brothers and neighbors? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather have God himself as your master and even right. more than that, as your friend? Yes, absolutely. Great so it's, it, it's really, it's really striking then too, when, um, when our Lord Jesus comes onto the scene and he speaks to his disciples and we have that upper room discourse that we read in John a yes. ways back. Uh -huh. and, and I have not called right. you servants, but friends. Yes. But friends, which, yes. That, that's really striking because, you know, until that point, you know, Abraham is called the, the friend of God, right? But like everybody else is called a servant, right? Like Moses is called a servant mm -hmm. of God. David is called mm -hmm. a servant of God. Israel is called a servant of God. And, and that's mm -hmm. already a big deal. It's already a really good thing. But only Abraham gets called um, friend. I'm trying to recall if mm -hmm. Moses ever gets called friend, but it's, it's not coming to mind. But then Jesus goes and says, here, I'm calling you friends, though, all of you. Yes, that's right. That's a wonderful, uh, you know, way to see uh, how, how, you know, all of Isaiah, obviously, is, is, is really, really pointing us to the cross and, and uh, the regenerated life that we have in, in Christ now with God. Right. That, that in, in the cross, and just think about that, right? You know, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners. I mean, that's the great commission, right? That, mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, you know, God calls, you know, Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans, right? He brings up his people from the south, from Egypt, right? You know, um, we, we saw it with the first part of Isaiah after the Assyrians came through and they deported the the northerners off to all over the place and then they kind of were able to come back under hezekiah yeah god's already been doing this bringing his people from all over the earth but then it's all going to be fulfilled in a huge way in a big way in, in, in the most literal way when in the age of the church literally all over the world people will be called and brought together to the cross of jesus yes amen well, let's consider the next part here. We do have um, still a good deal ahead of us, as you said. Uh, this part that begins in verse 8 kind of goes on through verse 20. So I might just even mm -hmm. read um, yeah. even even the rest of that chunk here. It's a little sure. bit bigger, but um, we want it does all belong together, as you were saying. 
So let's start here at verse 11, pick it back up. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them. And you shall rejoice in the Lord, and the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Mm, wonderful. <laughs> it, there, there's, so, there's so much going on here. I'll, I'll just start us off by saying, like, there's there's more of this, this relational language we, we've talked yeah. about it in connection to numbers, that word in verse 14, redeemer, you know, that, that Hebrew mm -hmm. word, you know, go, goel, that, that's mm -hmm. also more kind of family language, right? Like it's it uh, it, not anybody's allowed to be a redeemer. There's certain rules in the mm -hmm. Hebrew tradition. It, it is uh, this family connection, you know, so it's God who's the friend. It's God who is the master. He is the redeemer. It's a, it's a it's a very important connection because who are we without God? Well, this is this is this might have seemed a little bit out of place, but who are we without God? Well, we are just a worm. Isn't that the verb that or the, yeah. the noun that we have in yeah. verse fourteen? So, yeah, what, what do you yeah. think of that contrast there? <laughs> well, I think it's it's it, uh, it's wonderful, uh, and you've really kind of already set this up. Is that you see in verse fourteen uh, through verse sixteen? You know, fear not. Here's the words of comfort, okay, that that, that flow out of uh, Isaiah 40. Fear not, you worm of Jacob. So now we have, <laughs> again, in the previous passage, uh, we were servants, kind of slaves, helpless. Now we're worms, completely, uh, you know, um, lowly and without any strength, uh, going against mountains and hills, he, he refers here. But he says, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer. So now that we're connected to the Holy One of Israel and God is our helper, look at in verse 15 and 16, goes, now instead of a worm, I'm going to make you a threshing sledge. Yeah. And you're going to thresh the mountains and crush them, and you're going to make the hills like chaff, and uh, you know, and and then I love at the end he says, and you shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel, you shall glory. So uh, the beautiful picture of this. Yes, 
being connected to God. Uh, outside of God, we're a worm, but connected to the God of Israel, just as we're connected to Christ in our baptism, boy, uh, there, we, we are lords of all, right? Uh, right. borrowing Luther's language yeah. and, and servants yeah. to none. Uh, and God is accomplishing his purposes through us and we rejoice in him. So he's the one that gets the glory. He's the one that we rejoice in, but boy, what is, what a connection that is. Yeah. Well, and, and I like what you're pointing out that, I mean, the, the threshing sledge is seemingly like the opposite of a worm, right? I mean, you know, I guess they're, they're both long and they both are kind of, pictures. yeah, they're, they're both, both yeah. vaguely agricultural items, I suppose you might say, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean like the sledge, it has, you know, teeth and it's hard and it's sharp, yeah. right? It's not at all like a worm. And, um, you know, and that threshing mountains. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, somebody might say like, well, I don't know. It still seems mean that God's calling them a worm. Right. I, I, I don't think though, actually, I mean, God would be justified in saying that. Right. I mean, it's like in the previous chapter, he says, you know, he sits on the, you know, above the circle of the earth and everyone down there looks like grasshoppers compared to him. Right. So it, it would be fine for God to compare us to insects that that's actually just justified. <laughs> but I'm not even sure it's necessarily that God is calling them the worm. I think that that's, that's just a description of how they feel. And yes, um, I think that's, that's right. Yeah. And, and I think that the, the ESV has a little footnote, which is helpful on that word worm. It, if you if you look at these and I encourage everybody when you're reading the Bible, like, you know, your modern translations are, are so wonderful because they just they're helping you left and right. What's the little note there it has this little footnote G on there and it says Psalm 22, six. And what's that say? But I am a worm mm-hmm. and not a man mm-hmm. scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who yes. see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Yeah. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him, right? And yeah, th- great this commentary is, on that. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. This, this is this is that psalm that we use on Good Friday. Um, all this mm-hmm. language that's describing the servant of the Lord, right? Um, mm-hmm. And how the servant of the Lord, we're going to see later in Isaiah, is described as undesirable, even as like a deaf and mute and all the rest of it, right? That it, mm-hmm. it is, first of all, a description of how the exiles feel. This is what they feel like because they feel like they've yeah. been forgotten. They feel like they are the most despised people on earth, like they're not even mm-hmm. a people anymore. They feel like they are just bugs, like worms, like there's nothing left that's good in them. But God promises restoration and transformation and victory and glory. Yes. Amen. That's it. I think that's exactly what what, what uh, this passage is getting at. And then it continues in verses seventeen through twenty. You know, uh, so we have a servant, we are we have a worm, and now we have the poor and the needy, who who uh, are likened to Israel in the desert, right? Uh, this this wasteland, the tongue is parched, and they're thirsty. And, you know, when you're in the desert with no shade and no water, uh, certain death is going to follow. And yet, uh, what does God promise here? Notice all the I wills. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, the Lord, will answer them. 
I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. So here's the common theme through this verses 8 through 20, that no, no matter the circumstances, how you feel, what, what, uh, what things may look like, God is with them. He will not forsake them. He says, I will open rivers. I will make the wilderness a pool of water. And then he talks about shade. I will put in the wilderness a cedar and, and all the, the different uh, shade-giving uh, uh, trees so that to, to 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 comfort and care for them, and he says, then the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. So there again, you see the the great, uh, wonderful, sovereign care and uh, and uh, intimate uh, knowing their needs and God um, being there to to carry them through. So so don't be dismayed. Don't give up. Don't. Don't uh, God hasn't forsaken you even in the wilderness of life or the circumstances you find yourself in. The Lord is taking care of you. Yeah, and it always goes back, right, that that word of comfort, just a reminder that it's because he created, you know, and that word is, um, it's very rightly rendered as created here in English. I mean, it's, it's actually the same form, you know, bara, that word back in Genesis, mm-hmm. you know, chapter one, the beginning. This is a, a few ways now that we've seen those connections to Genesis, whether it's yeah, with Abraham or with creation yeah. language like this, right? It's just yes. the one who created is the one who can recreate. Not by accident. <laughs> These right. things are referring back to those uh, wonderful passages in Genesis. Right. Yeah. Well, and just isn't it something, just the description even here, of just, you know, putting all these, planting all these trees in the wilderness, right, and opening up mm-hmm. all these pools of water. I mean, this just sounds like God planting the Garden of Eden, right? Mm-hmm. Place of protection and, and, and uh, yeah, a place of uh, of rest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, you have um, th- this language here that goes back you know, as far as Genesis, right? It speaks to the situation in the present of restoration from exile, but then it also goes into the future that one day um, there is someone else, not just, you know, the the Judean exiles, who is going to feel like a a worm, someone who is going to (laughs) pray the Psalm 22, like it applies yeah. to him more than it's applied to anyone in the course of human history, right? Yeah. That there's going to be one yeah. who is going to be thirsty, um, as it yeah. says in, in verse 17, one who will be poor and needy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what's going to happen? I, the Lord, will answer him in that case, right? I mean, it, it does It does also not only speak to the Judean exiles, but this this does seem to really apply very well to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely, right. Uh, I am the I am the living water. He who drinks of me will never thirst, and uh, we do find our Lord uh, being that one tree that uh, He joins us to um, to find not only shade but but uh, our sustenance of life, right, as a branch, right. Yeah, no, that's right. All that that language that gets used in the New Testament of. Um, you know, of the vine and the branches or um, even just, you know, how a, a tree 
um, like the tree of life, you know, you see that picked up in mm-hmm. Revelation, right? You know, it's right. it's it's Jesus who is the one who gives the tree of life and the fruit that comes from it in the book of Revelation. Well, this is um, it's really good that we've gone this far. And like you said, when we get to verse twenty one here, which is the verse we're on now, um, it's kind of a repetition of the the first half. It's it's sort of a very similar theme, but I want to make sure that we have a little bit of time to talk about it um, since we do sure. have uh, not that much time left. So let's pick it up here. I'll read the rest of the chapter and we still have a few minutes then. So this is again, just kind of repeating what we saw at the very beginning. God's calling everyone to court. He has laid down the challenge. Here it is. Verse 21. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the King of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what's to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you're nothing, and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. I stirred up one from the north, and he has come from the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads the clay. Who declared it from the beginning that we might know, and beforehand that we might say he's right? There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. I was the first to say to Zion, Behold, here they are, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is no one. Among these there is no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, very, very, I mean, it's just a scathing condemnation, and, and here it's clearly... It, it's not specifically, um, or it's not, it's not broadly the nations, the Gentile nations. It's specifically their gods, and he's and he's just saying, you, you other foreign gods, you're you're nothing. You're less than nothing is actually what he says, right? Yeah, yeah. He uh, he he asked uh, he a little bit more intensely. Uh, he he asked them to bring their idols to court so that they can make a case. They, right. Uh, and the test case is this. Can you understand the past to know how the future is going to unfold? And, and, and can you predict the future? I mean, that's really the challenge he lays down. And, uh, and between 23 and verse 24, you just assume there's silence there. Right? Right. Uh, and because there's silence, the, the idols have no uh, response. He says the verdict in verse 24, you are nothing. Your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Uh, but then in verse 25, uh, God makes his case that he is the one, again, that who stirred up, who woke right. who initiated uh, the one from the north, who yeah. come from the east, right? Yeah, yeah, so actually, so that, that, it sounds like repetition, like it would be referring to Cyrus, but in in what sense is it that he stirred up one from the north and he has come, well, it says from the rising of the sun, which is a way of referring to the east, so what's going on with the the north and the east thing together here? Well, 
uh, you know, Cyrus did come from the east, and he conquered Babylon from the north, uh, and and in turn, uh, you know, became uh, the one who was Israel's king at that point. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I understand that. I, I think that makes sense of it. I think you kind of had to look at a map, right? I mean, like if you're not if you're not mm-hmm. kind of looking at a map of all of this stuff. Um, it's, it can be, it becomes a little bit weird, but you know, like we, um, we recall, for example, with the Assyrians, right. That, um, the, the way that these, these invasions seem to happen from the East is that they come from the East and from the North that you start yes. by taking out Syria and then mm-hmm. you take over, um, Samaria, the Northern kingdom, and then right. you go down South and you take over Judah. Yeah. That seems to be like the, the standard, I, I- Way of approach. I think that's a. That's, I think that's the right way of looking at it. It's a helpful way. I think it makes the most sense. Absolutely. Uh, and so God says, you know, I'm the one who initiates this. Uh, I'm the one who even predicted it. Right. Uh, to declared from the beginning. So as opposed to the idols who have no clue, <laughs> who are silent, God is speaking His word, and it's coming to pass. Right. And this is the wonderful. Uh, proclamation of good news uh, that God is the God who keeps his word, keeps his promises. And even uh, the coming conqueror over the conquered, this is good news because uh, this is, like you mentioned earlier, Cyrus is God's righteous servant. Right. Well, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's being brought to serve God's righteousness, his righteous purpose. It's interesting though here, I feel like the language is even stronger though. In verse 25, I mean, it says he shall call upon my name. And that's like, that's just, that's just literally what it says in Hebrew. I mean, it just says like, he will call on Mm -hmm. my name, like Bishmi, like, you know, like Shem, the name of God. Right. I mean, it's, um, I mean, what do you make of that, though? I mean, like that—that that almost sounds like he's just—I mean, he's going to be like Abraham, like he's just going to like worship the true God. But I mean, as far as we know, that didn't happen. What, what do you make of that? Well, I think it, it's the fact that he is uh, accomplishing the purposes uh, that God has has called him to. That he is he is making God's purposes known uh, by fulfilling them. Um, um, that's he shall call upon my name uh, means that uh, and he will and then he continues and he shall trample on rulers as on mortar as potter treads on clay. So I think it's 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 a way of saying that he is uh, fulfilling uh, the purposes of Yahweh and uh, and by being his uh, servant uh, he's fulfilling. Uh, the promises of, of God, uh, who is the, the covenant God of Israel, and and who is determined to save, also as we're going to find out later, the nations. Well, I do, I do think that absolutely the the chapter is very consistent on this idea that Cyrus of Persia is going to come and he's going to do right by God's people. He's going to let them go home. He's going to accomplish God's purpose. But I do think actually this stronger language is warranted and has to be taken at face value that actually Cyrus is going to call on God's name. Now, the thing we have to realize is that does not say he's going to exclusively call on God's name, right? That would Mm -hmm. have been hoping for a lot. Um, that he was going to give up all of his foreign gods, the gods of Persia. It doesn't say that, but it does say he will call on the name of the true God. And in fact, he 
does. If we recall in Isaiah 40, um, the, the voice calling in the wilderness is not just uh, make, you know, make the way straight for the exiles. It's make the way straight for our God. We recall from Daniel and from Ezra that Persia, through Cyrus, is going to be sending the money and the materials that they need to rebuild the temple, and Cyrus is going to give them the instructions to have the sacrifices done in the temple of Yahweh and to pray to Yahweh for his own kingdom and his own well-being and the well-being of his sons. He's actually going to solicit the God of Israel for help and support. So it's going to be imperfect. It's going to be alongside other gods. But, I mean, I think we actually do see it come to pass that, I mean, Cyrus actually, through his work, gives recognition to the God of Israel. Isn't that marvelous how God does that? I mean, it's 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 amazing, and you know, it's, I mean, that's like what Daniel's all about, right? That just um, even even mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar is humbled <laughs> and brought to re- give recognition to God, and it's it's imperfect, but like it's just no power can resist um, acknowledging the true God, not just the God of Israel, but the God of heaven yeah. and earth. And I think that's the point, exactly right. And it's so true for us today as we live in these uh, uncertain times that the same God of of the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer, is our Redeemer. And uh, the God who is the God of history and fulfilling His purposes without opposition, uh, even using His enemies, using opposition to fulfill His purposes, is the God who is with us, who will not forsake us, and who will... Produced by the Lutheran Church. Yes, a- amen, Center. amen, brother. All out of time, but thank you so much, everybody. Pastor Darren Sheik, pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Anaheim, California. Thanks for tuning in. We thank our underwriters at lhfmissions.org, Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Till next time, peace. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.